Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so I'm sitting in my office at my desk and I'm looking out the window at the horizon and I can see a storm coming towards my house. So we are now going to try and get through this story before that storm hits and we are interrupted by thunder. So let's see how we go. Uh, today, I'm going to continue reading from The Pesky Kids 4, Near Extinction, and I am up to Chapter 3, Inside Knowledge. Here we go. While the kids were at school and Dad was gardening, Ingrid spent the day trying to find Svetlana. It was harder than she expected. Ingrid had assumed that it wouldn't take her long to find a malnourished Russian woman with terrible English in a small country town where everyone knew everyone and there was only one road in and out. But it was not meant to be. Ingrid had spent a long night searching every clothing bin, bridge underpass, stormwater drain, and disused shed in town. Now that it was daylight again, Ingrid had given up on subtlety. She decided to just ask. If you live in a small country town, there are two types of people that always know everything about what's going on. The taxi drivers and the hairdressers. Karawan was so tiny that the town had just one hairdresser, and she was married to the town's only taxi driver, so Ingrid went to get a haircut at Sylvia's salon. Within 15 minutes, she knew everything she needed to know. She soon found out that Mrs. Harrison, from out by Hillvale, had come in to have her roots done that morning. She'd told Sylvia that her daughter Bessie had burnt the French toast she was cooking for breakfast that morning. The smoke alarm in her kitchen had gone off, which had scared her cat. Her cat had run up onto the roof of the milking shed and refused to come down. The cat was a purebred Siamese show cat and worth a lot of money, so Bessie had driven over to the cat lady's house to get help. When Bessie was standing on the cat lady's veranda, she had peered in through the fly screen and seen a strange skinny woman doing the dishes. By the time she left the salon, Ingrid had all the information she needed and a haircut she didn't. The cat lady lived with her grandson Neil on a small farm a short way out of Currawong. Now, a normal person who found a strange Russian woman stowed away in the boot of their station wagon would report them to the police. But the cat lady was not normal. She was deeply eccentric. When she found Svetlana huddled under an old potato sack, she thought of the plums in her back paddock that she would never be able to pick with just Neil for help and offered Svetlana a job. So it was in the plum orchard that Ingrid finally found her. "'You have come to take me away?' said Svetlana. She was trembling with fear. "'No,' said Ingrid. "'I do not work for this country's government.' "'What do you want from me?' asked Svetlana. "'Information,' said Ingrid. "'I know nothing,' said Svetlana. "'This is probably true,' agreed Ingrid. "'What does Dr. Banfield want?' "'To stop wedding of a man,' said Svetlana. 
Why? asked Ingrid. What is it she wants to do with him? Svetlana shrugged. She not tell me. If I don't know, I can't tell if I captured. What do you think? asked Ingrid. What is your guess? Svetlana looked shifty. I think her man has something she needs. Something important. Ingrid nodded. I begin to understand it is time to take action. Chapter 4. Interception Half an hour later, the pesky kids were still in sickbay. The school wanted them to wait for Dad to come in and pick them up, but Dad never answered the phone. The three of them were looking for lawn covered in big red welts, which were covered in big pink blobs of calamine lotion, when Mr Lang walked past with Professor Maynard. "'What are you three doing here?' asked Mr Lang. He was so used to seeing the pesky kids when they were in trouble, or causing trouble, it did not cross his mind that they might be in sick bay because they were genuinely ill. "'We were stung by bees,' said Finn. "'What, all of you?' asked Mr Lang, incredulously. "'The school has some very angry bees,' said April. "'You should do something about it. It's a safety hazard.' Mr Lang was more confused than anything else. April made irrational accusations all the time, so that was water off a duck's back to him. But all three of them being stung multiple times by bees? That just defied comprehension. "'You were all stung repeatedly by bees?' No, one bee can only sting once, said Finn. We weren't stung repeatedly, we were stung by multiple bees, each just once. Perhaps the bees have evolved into a new strain of hyper-aggressive bees, suggested April. Mr Lang looked at them with disbelief. April hit the nest with her school bag, explained Joe. Oh, said Mr Lang. Now things were starting to make sense. But why would she do that? asked Professor Maynard, looking meaningfully at April. Surely it would have been better to leave it alone, to just go about your day causing as little fuss as possible. Surely that's what your mother would want you to do. The pesky kids realised that Professor Maynard was not talking about the bees now. She was angry with them for repeatedly failing to live a quiet and unassuming life in Currawong. I couldn't help myself, said April defiantly, although defiance is less impressive when you've got half a dozen welts on your face. I wanted to know what would happen if I knocked a bee's nest down onto Joe's head. I needed answers. I wasn't going to let anything stop me. Professor Maynard wasn't the only one who could talk in double talk. Why haven't you been sent home, asked Mr Lang impatiently. Because their father never answers the phone, snapped Mrs Pillsbury. She was the school's secretary, and she made no pretense of the fact that she had been listening in on their conversation. Mrs Pillsbury loathed the pesky kids, but then she loathed all kids, so this was not unusual. You can't sit in sick bay for the rest of the day, said Mr Lang. We want to go home, said Joe. We can just ride our bicycles. We can't let you go unless you're accompanied by a responsible adult, said Mr Lang. I'll run them home, offered Professor Maynard. The pesky kids were horrified. Professor Maynard was a terrifying government-sponsored psychopath. The whole reason they had wanted to go home was to check that she hadn't arranged to have something done to their dad. Now they were going to be taking her home with them. Stammered Joe. He desperately wanted to put a stop to this, but he couldn't get out one word, let alone a whole sentence. That's all right, said Finn. That's what Joe's trying to say. We can go back to class. Yes, said April. Or Joe can take us home. He's taller than Dad, and he acts more like an adult anyway. Don't be ridiculous, said Mr Lang with impatience. He's not over 18. That's a silly rule, said April. It should be over 18 or over six foot tall. Joe's six foot three. He should totally be in charge of us. 
If Professor Maynard really doesn't mind taking you home and making sure that there's a responsible adult there to take care of you, said Mr. Lang, then obviously that's the best solution. It would be my pleasure, said Professor Maynard with a smile. I would love to meet their father. Ten minutes later, the pesky kids were squashed into the back of an old Corolla hatchback as they were driven home. Professor Maynard did not do the drive-in. Eric, her assistant, did that. Although why a paleontologist would need a 25-year-old super-fit slab of muscle to drive her about made no sense. The pesky kids knew it was because Eric was undoubtedly a highly trained espionage operative who could kill you with his pinky finger. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Are you going to take us out into the woods and kill us? asked April. Finn elbowed her in the ribs. Ow, what was that for? asked April. Stop giving her ideas, said Finn. Don't be a silly Billy, said Professor Maynard. I'm not taking you somewhere to kill you. If I was going to do that, you'd be dead already. Why are you here? asked Joe. Because I've got a bone to pick with you, said Professor Maynard. You haven't blown up our home again, have you? asked Finn. Of course not, said Professor Maynard with a smile. But her smile was not like the jolly smile she used on them months earlier when she was still pretending to be a bumbling academic. Her smile was now more of the type of crocodile might give you before latching onto your leg and dragging you underwater. I'm here to make sure you stay nice and safe. Just hearing Professor Maynard use the word nice sent chills up Joe's spine. He suspected she was actually one of the least nice people he had ever met. Why are you pretending to be giving out science grants for school excursions? asked April. Can't you just act like a normal person for once? Professor Maynard grimaced. We are here in our role as employees of the Natural History Museum because we are undercover and we care about the integrity of our mission, she explained coldly and calmly. Something you three need to start doing. We don't have a mission, said April. We're just kids. I gave you a mission two months ago, said Professor Maynard. Your mission was to blend in and go unnoticed. You have failed at every opportunity and in every way. You are loathed by your peers at school. You are reviled by the business owners in town. And you've made a name for yourself throughout the community for being annoying. Well, our name is Pesky, said Finn. So technically, people would say we were pesky regardless of whether our behaviour was pesky. Professor Maynard stabbed her finger at Finn. Case in point, you can't even take a dressing down without being annoying, disrespectful and rude. Yeah, nah, said April. This is actually pretty good behaviour for us. None of us have yelled at you yet, and I haven't told Pumpkin to bite you. You should be counting yourself lucky. Pumpkin might be small, but I reckon his teeth could get through your trousers. Professor Maynard glanced down at Pumpkin. He looked adorable sitting on April's lap, watching the conversation between the humans. The professor smiled her cruel smile. The little doggy won't be biting anyone if he gets hit with 50,000 volts from a taser. April gasped. That shut her up. 
What do you want? asked Joe. He had a general rule of giving everyone what they wanted, but particularly violent psychopaths. I want you three to behave, said Professor Maynard. Well, you're going to need to be more specific, began Finn. Behave like normal children, snapped Professor Maynard. You will go on the excursion to the dinosaur park. You will ask no questions. You will cause no trouble. And you will make no mention of anything that happens in Currawong while you are away. The pesky kids looked at each other. What will happen while we're away? asked Joe. That information is on a need-to-know basis, said Professor Maynard. Well, can't you give us a hint? asked April. April, groaned Joe. Oh, come on, said April. If she's going to be all mysterious, there's no way we'll be able to resist investigating. Better to just tell us the bare facts. It's probably something boring that we wouldn't be interested in anyway. Professor Maynard sighed. (sighs) The security of Karawong has been compromised, and we need to find and eliminate the security threat. That will be easier to achieve if you are not here. Are you talking about a person, asked Finn. Are you going to eliminate a person? He knew this was the type of thing that Professor Maynard must do. She was an international espionage mastermind, but he always thought of that kind of spy business as something that happens overseas in corrupt third world countries, not something that happened in Currawong. They knew everyone in Currawong. It was impossible not to in a small town. He didn't want anyone he knew to be eliminated. There is a person, a rogue person, who has been sighted here in town, said Professor Maynard. A dangerous influence. We're sure they don't want to stay here, so we're going to help them leave. After we've had a nice chat, of course. Finn was pretty sure that nice chat was a euphemism for interrogation, which would involve some sort of torture, even if only psychological. Have you met anyone suspicious in town? asked Professor Maynard. Each and every day, said April. Karawong is full of nut bars. But I don't think it's political. I think it's the water. Either that, or there was a nuclear dump here at some stage that no one knows about and everyone's been exposed to radiation poisoning. That might explain the weirdly angry bees as well. What about you? Professor Maynard asked, turning to Joe. Her eyes bored into his. Joe wondered if Professor Maynard had some sort of superpower, like Superman's ability to cut through steel with his eyes. He felt she was looking directly into his soul. You aren't as good at lying as your brother and sister, are you? You'll tell me the truth. Have you met anyone suspicious lately? Someone with unclear motives? Began Joe. Shut up, said April. Joe, said Finn. Yes, Joe finally got out. He was still looking straight into Professor Maynard's eyes. Yes, I have met someone suspicious with unclear motives. You. Professor Maynard's smile slipped. Burn, said April gleefully. Nice one, said Finn. His brother was not a great wit. It was unusual for Joe to say something smart-alecky. So you haven't come across a thin Russian woman, asked Professor Maynard. Joe hoped that his face wasn't betraying him. Our PE teacher is Russian, volunteered April, but he's not thin, and he doesn't look like a woman. But we shouldn't make assumptions about gender stereotypes, said Finn. It's not politically correct. Professor Maynard glared at the three of them, as if she were trying to suck the information out of their brains with the power of her eyes. If I found out that you had been keeping information from me, I would become very cross. Well, we'll just have to be super truthful then, said April, because you're such a delight now. Just make sure you're on that excursion, said Professor Maynard. I want to be certain you are well clear of here while we conduct our operations. In case we're caught in the crossfire, asked Finn. 
In case you're captured and used as hostages, said Professor Maynard. That would drag the whole process out. She turned to her driver. Drop them here. We're still three kilometres from home, protested April. The walk will do you good, said Professor Maynard. It will give you a chance to reflect on your actions. The hatchback pulled over. Eric got out and opened the back door and waited expectantly. Now you be good children, said Professor Maynard, reverting to her smiling manner. Don't make me come back here again. The children slid out. The walk might be a bit longer than they would have liked on a hot day, when their faces and forearms were covered in bee stings, but on the whole it was better than another second spent with Professor Maynard. Eric got back in and the hatchback sped away. There's no way that car has a 1.6-litre petrol engine, said Finn, as they watched the harmless-looking hatchback disappear around the bend in the road at well over 200 kilometres per hour. It's like Professor Maynard, said Joe. It looks harmless and old, but really it's a high-performance weapon. I'm over that woman, said April. She's just trying to keep us alive, said Joe. Yeah, but why, asked April. What do you want to do, asked Finn, endanger us all just to spite her? I would love to do that, said April. We could die, said Finn. Some things are worth dying for, said April. That's the whole reason people have wars, because of principles. You don't want to do it because of the principles, said Finn. You want to do it to be annoying. Yes, and that's my principle, argued April. I take being annoying very seriously. I don't like it when people say I can't. Stuff freedom of speech and freedom of religion. The freedom I want enshrined forever is the freedom to really irritate whoever I want. Well, you've been pretty free with that up till now, said Finn. I know, said April. I'm a very principled person. Let's get home and check on Dad, said Joe. He started hurrying along the road with his long strides. After a moment of hesitation, April and Finn scrambled to catch up with him. Chapter 5. One of the Family Dad! yelled Joe as he burst into the house. There was no response. Joe was worried. Apart from the chance that Professor Maynard may have done something to Dad, there was also the possibility that Dad may have seen Professor Maynard panicked and gone into hiding. Dad! called Finn, hurrying straight through the house and out the back into the garden, the most likely place to find their father. Oi! Ingrid! Where's Dad? April yelled up the staircase. They're not here, Loretta called out from the kitchen. Pumpkin barked excitedly and ran to find her. Loretta was one of his favourite people. April and Joe entered the kitchen. Loretta was sitting at the kitchen bench, leaning on the countertop with one elbow and holding a packet of frozen peas to her eye with the other hand. What are you doing here? demanded April. Why aren't you at school? And what happened to your face? asked Joe. April whacked him in the ribs. Stop being so superficial. It doesn't matter what happens to her face. Appearances don't matter. It's what's on the inside that counts. Loretta made a scoffing noise. (laughs) You can't be serious. You should be asking her if she has brain damage, said April. Are you all right? asked Joe, choosing her third way. Loretta held the peas away from her face so they could see for themselves. She had a black eye. It didn't look too bad yet, mainly swollen. That's going to look awful tomorrow, said April, knowledgeably. She'd had many black eyes in her time and caused even more. And worse the next day. Loretta put the peas back on her face. What happened? asked Joe. It wasn't... April whacked Joe in the ribs again. Let her tell us, said April, glaring at him. We don't want to leap to conclusions... I got expelled from St Anthony's Academy, said Loretta, although she sounded super chipper about it. Why, asked Joe. Because you're a sociopath, guessed April. No, they don't mind that, said Loretta. It's a school for crazy rich kids, so they've got loads of those. 
So what did you do? asked April curiously. There was even budding admiration in her voice. April had never managed to be expelled herself, and she'd certainly deserved to be many dozens of times. I hit a guest to the school about the head with a hockey stick, said Loretta. She smiled as she said this. It was evidently a happy memory for her. Why? asked Joe. Well, she said something vulgar about a friend of mine, said Loretta. Huh? said April. She had attacked many people, but never for vulgarity to a third party. Was it someone important? asked Joe, imagining some war veteran or federal politician getting a whack in the face with a sports stick. No, said Loretta. You really don't know, do you? You didn't hear about it at school? No, said April. That's why we're asking. Just tell us, would you? Loretta straightened her posture, assuming as much dignity as someone can when they're holding a packet of frozen vegetables to their face. There was a visit to our school today from a group of students from an underprivileged school. It's part of an outreach program. We have so many lovely sporting facilities at St. Anthony's that as part of our fellowship to the community, once or twice a year, we invite poor children to come and use them. You hit an orphan about the head with a hockey stick, asked April. She was super impressed. This was a low even she would not stoop to. It was a group of students from Currawong High, explained Loretta. They came to play hockey with us for the afternoon. We put on a lovely afternoon tea for them. There was fresh fruit in case they had vitamin deficiencies. Students from our school, said April. I thought you said they were poor kids. Your school is full of poor kids, said Loretta. Poor compared to St Anthony's. Well, who did you hit? asked April, realising that it would be someone they knew. Ah, Daisy Odin's daughter, confessed Loretta. Joe gasped. Daisy had been trying to trap him romantically since his first day at Currawong High. She terrified him. April looked from Joe to Loretta and back again. What did Daisy say? I'm not going to repeat it, said Loretta. She actually blushed, something Joe and April had never seen her do before. Loretta was usually shameless about the most outrageous things, so Daisy must have said something pretty bad. And she hit you back, asked April. Daisy had impressive Icelandic levels of fitness. It didn't surprise her that she could pack a wallop. What, this, said Loretta, pointing to her face. Oh, no, she didn't do this. I got this when I took my eye off the game to hit Daisy, just as Connie Bean passed the ball to me. Silly mistake. I should have taken the shot for gold, then hit Daisy. But she was just so unpleasant, I got cross. April nodded. You should get a therapy dog. She bent down to Pat Pumpkin. They help you with your inner rage by biting people for you when you're too busy to attack them yourself. That is not how therapy dogs are supposed to work, said Joe. Pumpkin had been trained for months by specialist dog trainers in how to assist an owner in calming themselves. It had only taken April two days to undo all this training and retrain her dog to be a mini version of her own personality. I found Dad, said Finn, re-entering through the French doors. He's okay. He was seeding truffles under the hazelnut tree. Finn turned and noticed Loretta for the first time. Oh my gosh, what happened to your beautiful face? She accidentally superglued a packet of peas to her eye, said April. Really? asked Finn. Of course not, said April. I was being sarcastic. All right, said Finn, shaking his head. Superglue would never work on a wet surface and condensation would form on the pea packet. Unless you applied superglue inside the freezer. Shut up, said April. She suffered a head injury already. She doesn't want to listen to your pedantic twaddle. But who would do such a thing, asked Finn. Finn had fallen in love with Loretta at first sight on the day they had arrived at Dad's house. He had seen her in skin-tight jodhpurs, hair billowing in the breeze and smashing her horse through the flower beds. To his mind, giving Loretta a black eye was equivalent to drawing a moustache on the Mona Lisa with a sharpie. It was just wrong.
I get black eyes all the time and you never care, said April. You aren't as pretty as Loretta, said Finn. No one's as pretty as Loretta, said April. Thank you, said Loretta, politely. Even the staggeringly beautiful never tire of a nice compliment. Don't thank me, said April. It's a curse if you ask me. All those people staring at you and gushing over you. It'd make me want to be sick in a bucket. Oh, you get used to it, Loretta assured her. But where are you going to go to school now, asked Joe. Oh, it's already taken care of, said Loretta. Ingrid has enrolled me at Currawong High. Oh, groaned April. That means we'll see even more of you. Oh, wonderful, said Finn. The end. And we'll leave it there. So thank you all for listening. Before we go, I did want to just say thank you to everyone who has gone out and bought Friday Barnes 11, Friday Barnes Last Chance in the last couple of weeks. Just so you know, (laughs) so it's the 11th book in the series and it's taken off so well, this book, that it's outsold all the previous 10 books in terms of how many books it sold in the first two weeks. So thank you. That's really awesome. It's um, a huge help to be selling lots of books. It makes me look really good with my publisher, like I know what I'm doing and that they should get me to write more and more books which is what we want. So um, thank you for all your support, everybody out there. And if you haven't got it yet, go and get it because it's a, people tell me it's a really good read. Um, and, yeah, uh, what else? Oh, I've just been writing lots of books. The, the, the book of uh, Bedtime Stories with R.A. Spratt, I just finished it today. It got submitted. And it's turned out it, that's pretty cool too. It's going to be huge. Like a pesky kid's book is 40,000 words long. Bedtime Stories with R.A. Spratt, it's going to be 85,000 words long because I wrote – Oh, I'm not going to explain to you why, but basically I wrote all these stories and then they said, oh, can you do some extra bits? So I put in all these fun facts and I draw a map and I came up with a pronunciation guide. But there's like 30 stories from the podcast in there, like the previous books, astonishingly good stories and shockingly good stories. They had 20 stories and they were really cool books. They were like 50,000 words long. But this book, it's going to, it's going to have 30 stories plus all these extra bits. And it's going to be 80,000 words long. So I submitted that yesterday. So we've got the next few months to edit that before it comes out in September. So that's all the things that are happening here at the moment in my world, as well as finishing off my Hamlet book. Um, So that's it for now. The storm has not hit. The grey clouds are now totally over my house, but mercifully there has been no thunder or lightning yet. So we did it. We got through. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, goodbye. (laughs)